Well, I invite you to pull out your message notes for today's message or some fill in the blank as well as all the scripture. And no, we did not intentionally plan this message on baby dedication Sunday. That was a total uh, unintentionally uh, planned thing. I guess we're just trying to aim for another baby dedication in about 10 months from now. They say a lot of babies are made in the summer and we just want to do our part. You'll pick up on that in a minute if you haven't looked at your message notes yet. We are in week three of Song of Solomon. We're doing a chapter by chapter, verse by verse study. I'm glad to have all the teenagers here. Today, you may ask, why are the teenagers here? They need to hear this because they're hearing much worse in school. And I want them to hear God's standard for this because for so long we tell kids, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. But we don't really tell them why. And we don't show them how incredibly beautiful, precious, and awesome this gift is, which is what will motivate them to stay pure. Telling them not to do it will not motivate them to stay pure. Teaching them the beauty of this gift will motivate them to stay pure and understand God's way. So here's the premise for today's message that I want you to build the foundation on. And yes, I'm a little nervous today. I was so nervous last night. I got a little tongue tied and a cuss word slipped out when I was trying to say something else. I will try not to cuss today. I did, I did warn you this was a PG-13 message. But uh, I, will, I will do my best this morning. Here, here's the premise or the, the theme that I want you to meditate on today. For those of you that are visiting our church for the very first time, welcome. Uh, <laughs> here's the truth that I want you to, want you to really uh, uh, wrestle with today. You cannot have a godly marriage without a passionate sex life. And you cannot sustain... A passionate sex life without a godly marriage. They go hand in hand. You may, you may start with a passionate sex life, but you will not sustain a passionate sex life without godliness. God gave us this gift and he gave us the rules on how to use it where we can be fruitful in that area and blessed in that area and find pleasure in that area the rest of our life. But if you follow the world's rules in this area, the research says you're going to have a lot of issues in this area and you may start off strong, but you're not going to finish strong in this area unless you reset yourself to God's standard in this area. And for those of you that grew up in a church that taught sex was boring and it was part of the curse and it was just for procreation, you are in for a treat today when you get into God's word and see what God's word really has to say about this awesome gift that he gave us. In the book Song of Solomon by Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, he wrote, I grew up in a church that often seemed to think something was wrong with having a sexual appetite. Because we wanted body to body contact, the church tried to make us think something was wrong with us. If we are normal and healthy, we are going to want sex, affection, and passion. God did not create us only as physical beings, psychological beings, or emotional beings. He also created us as sexual beings. He gave us sex as a gift. It isn't the use of sex that is a problem in the world today. It's the misuse or the abuse of sex that is a problem. And he went on to say, the more spiritual I've become, the more sexual I've become. The title of today's message is Great Sex. Two words you probably never thought you would hear preached in a church. Two words that I never imagined preaching in a church. But today I want to help you understand why these words should have absolutely been preached in the church. And the reason we have so much brokenness in the world, the reason we have so much addiction and bondage and just heartache and psychological wounds and scars and traumas and emotional wounds and scars and traumas is because the church has remained silent in this area and not taught God's standard 
And we've allowed the world to, to, to take the lead in this area and the world to teach us, if you do it God's way, it's going to be boring. Not true. Not true at all. So let's jump into the message today. The, the, the foundation text for this series is the beginning of Song of Solomon, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 1. Solomon's Song of Songs. Basically, Solomon wrote 1,005 songs, First Kings tells us, and this was the Song of Songs. This was the, the premier song that he wrote. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. And that's the goal of our church, is we want you to be a pleasing fragrance to this community. We want people to, to, to get a whiff of us, to look at our marriages and say, how do you do that? I mean, how do you have such a marriage that is so full of passion and love and, and life? We, we, we want the marriages of this church to be a pleasing fragrance to this community. We want the parents, the fathers and mothers to, to parent in such a way that it's a pleasing fragrance. We want the young people to live by such a standard of integrity and purity that it is a pleasing fragrance to the community around us. Your name is like perfume. Pour it out. No wonder the maidens love you, she brags. Song of Solomon is an eight-chapter book broken up into six distinct sections. Week one of the series, we talked about the art of attraction, what you should look for in the opposite sex, what you should become to be attracted to the opposite sex. And especially for you married people, go back and listen to one because you need to learn how to stay attractive to your spouse. And we're going to teach you in week one how to stay attractive to your spouse. So if you missed week one, please listen to it on our website or our podcast because it is the foundation for the series. Last week we talked about dating, the world's way of dating versus God's way of dating and how the world's way of dating. It's not just that it's different. It doesn't work. I mean, the, the, we have a divorce rate in the church today that is equal to the world today. Why? Because we as Christians have bought into the world's philosophy on dating and it just doesn't work. We've got to get back to God's standard. Today we're talking about the honeymoon night. Next week is going to be a great message. We're talking about how to fight in marriage. I mean, no, you're going to have conflict in marriage. If you don't have conflict in marriage, you're dead. You're, you're, just, you're just two roommates living together. Marriage was designed for conflict and conflict will either draw you closer and deeper as a couple or it'll push you away as a couple. So we're going to give you the rules for fighting next week where you can allow conflict to deepen your relationship and actually draw you closer marriage. And then we're going to last two weeks are about deepening your love. In chapter three, it talks about the wedding ceremony. You can read that on your own. Solomon had 60 groomsmen. They all had swords. They were David's mighty men. He rolled up in an ancient limousine. He had this carriage, cedars of timber outlaid in gold with perfect fabric. I mean, this thing was, was looking good. Then they got into the wedding ceremony and then chapter four begins the honeymoon night. And, and just a, a unique piece of history. Weddings back then were not like weddings today. The wedding, the, 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 the wedding wasn't actually official until they consummated the relationship. So they would have the wedding ceremony. Then the bride and groom would go to the room next door, consummate the marriage, and then they would come out and the reception would begin. Can you imagine that today? I mean, they, yeah! I mean, I had the pressure. I'm so glad we changed that custom. But chapter four is all about the honeymoon. We get into the honeymoon here in 
You may ask, why are we studying this in detail today? Well, because God wants you to know. God put an entire chapter in the Bible to teach you how to make love to your spouse in a very passionate way and teach you God's standard in the bedroom. And he put it there for us, for our enjoyment, so we could learn how to, how to see our, our God-given needs and desires met in a godly way so that we're not out there trying to get our needs met in ungodly ways, which is creating all sorts of brokenness in our society. And let me just say quickly, if you're divorced, today uh, or, or going through a divorce or in, in a really difficult situation, I feel for you because I know this message has got to be really painful for you today, but it needs to be preached. And I just want you to understand some of the ground rules. God can make all things new. God can turn your life into a trophy of his grace. You may be in a terrible situation right now. Just file this information away because God does want to give you an incredible future. He can make all things new. So forget the past. There's no condemnation on yesterday. Start today. Let's move forward into the future that God wants to give you. Because many of us have made mistakes. I've made mistakes in my life, terrible mistakes that cost my marriage. And it took us a long time to get our marriage back together because some of the baggage I brought into my to our marriage. And so one of the reasons I'm teaching this is for those of you that haven't made mistakes, we don't want you to make the same mistakes that I made. I want so much better for you. In fact, write it down. June 12th, we're going to get together with all the teenagers of the church. My wife is going to share her story with the teenage girls. I'm going to share my story with the teenage boys because we want you to know there are consequences to choices you make. There's consequences. There's emotional baggage. There's psychological baggage. Sometimes there's physical baggage that you will carry with you for certain choices that you make. And we want to prevent you and encourage you not to make some of the mistakes that we made in our life that created some of the baggage we had to overcome and deal with. And so, parents, you're welcome to come with them. It's going to be a powerful night. We're going to be open and honest. We're not going to be graphic, but we're going to be open and honest about some of the mistakes we made to encourage your young people not to follow kind of our path down that road. So I want you to understand today, here, here's the big problem. Our, our, the church world today is silent on this subject. I mean, just silent. Mom and dads don't like to talk about it with their kids. The church doesn't want to talk about it. Schools, all they want to do is talk about body parts. And, and, but they're not talking about the emotional, the psychological. They're just talking about, you know, parts. And the result is the world has picked up the slack. And has now become the so-called experts in the area of sex. You go to the supermarket checkout line and you see all the magazines, eight steps to this, nine steps to this, ten ways for this. And the world now has, has, has self-proclaimed themselves as the expert in this area. And they didn't create it. They don't know how to do it right. And if you follow the world's standard in this area, you're going to get the world's results in this area, which is pain, brokenness, trauma, psychological, everything else. I want you to understand today, sex is very spiritual. God gave it to us as a gift, but you also have to understand it's not the foundation of your relationship. It cannot be the foundation of it. Your foundation must be on friendship. It must be an emotional foundation. Sex is the, the follow-through of marriage, not the power of marriage. And that's why if you have sex before you're married, you're building your house on the sand. You're building your relationship on the wrong foundation. Your entire season before marriage should be 100% dedicated to building the right foundation. The foundation of your relationship has to be on friendship. It's got to be an emotional friendship bond that takes place because as soon as you bring in the, the, the sexual and the physical into dating before marriage, you begin to weaken your foundation and you may say, no, we got it all together. Trust me, 
Look at people down the road. They will tell you all the time. You know, there may be a very rare exception. Uh, apart from, you know, God healing somebody and restoring a marriage, you're going to have issues if you build it on the wrong foundation. If you don't build a secure foundation in dating, it, it's, it, it will cost you. So here is God's standard because we want to redefine ourselves to God's standard. This is God's standard. All sexual activity, and we're not just talking about intercourse, we're talking about all sexual activity only fits in one context. That is between a man and a woman in marriage, period. That is God's standard, and you need to understand that. And it's not a legalistic mean standard. It's a standard that will help you enjoy this gift the rest of your life. Because the research will tell you people who have sex before they are married cite a much lower sexual satisfaction than people who wait till they're married. I'm trying to help you enjoy this for the rest of your life. Not just have a, a, a few hot, fun, uh, a shallow years and then the rest of your life in sexual boredom. I would rather you wait till you're married and have the rest of your life in passion and pleasure than to try to, try to, try to get that physical pleasure met now in an ungodly way. Way and then experience what the research says is boredom from then on out. And I'm just telling you the facts. This is the research. Those are just the facts. And, and again, if you've made mistakes, God can heal you. God can restore you. There's no condemnation. God can come in and cleanse your marriage, cleanse you, all unrighteousness and help you get. But it's going to be a little bit harder work for you. And I'm, and I'm telling you the truth. I came into my marriage with a lot of baggage, uh, a lot of problems from my past. And it was a lot harder work to get our marriage back together. So that's God's standard. And the world's not going to show you all this. I mean, 91% of the sex on television is outside of marriage. What are they trying to teach you? I mean, what are, what, 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 what are they trying to teach you? So where are we supposed to learn the godly standard for sex? It needs to be in God's house. It's in the Bible. He wrote an entire chapter for us to figure this out. So here's what the world says about sex. Let's, let's look at the world says. The world says sex is an animalistic action. You just got these feelings. You just got these urges and you just got to act on it. I've got, you know, I've got urges. God, God created me this way. I just need to act on it. No, you are not an animal. You are not led by feelings. You are led by choices. You make choices and allow your feelings to follow your choices. The world says it's a recreational activity. It's sport. Live it up. Play the field. Have as many partners as you want because one day you're going to tie yourself down and it's going to be boarding from then on. No, it's not a recreational activity. The world says it's an isolated event. It's just a physical act. It doesn't mean anything. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, what happens in Vegas comes home with you in the form of sexually transmitted diseases. It comes home with you in in forms of psychological bondage and emotional bondage and trauma and wounds. That's why people who've had multiple partners before marriage have a very difficult time connecting emotionally to their children and to their spouse. Why? Because they gave a little piece of their soul away to all these people. Every time you engage in sex before marriage, you're taking a piece of your soul and giving it to another person, which you give enough of your soul away. It's very hard to connect. It's very hard to connect. And and I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth because I want to save you and I want to help you from a lot of unneeded baggage and unneeded pain in your life. So let's jump into the message today. We're going to look at chapter four, beginning in verse one. And again, 
Uh, no condemnation. I'm going to keep going back to this because I know the majority of the people in this room have made mistakes like I've made because we haven't been taught in the church what God's standard is. And so the world's picked up the slack. The world has taught you a standard. You've given into the world's way and it's caused a lot of problems. And, and I want to say today, there's no condemnation. If you'll offer yourself back to God, God can come in and restore and renew and get you back on track to his standard. Chapter four, verse one, let's jump into this. Solomon is talking. Solomon talks about 25% of the time. She talks about 75% of the time. That's just the radio. I'm just mentioning that. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil. Now, now, now let, let me explain this. The, the veil, if you study ancient culture and ancient history, this veil is not a veil you wore outside of the bedroom. This was a veil you wore inside of the bedroom. It was a, a piece of fabric. It was like sheer. It was lace. It was, a, uh, you know, you can read about this in ancient Egyptian culture and history. Basically, it was a f- piece of fabric that she wore and she used it to visually arouse her husband. Victoria's Secrets have made a lot of money with this type of stuff. So I just want to say, so if you've been taught that that's off limits, uh, if you're a Christian, not true. It's in the Bible. I'm just saying. Okay, moving on. I'm a little nervous today. I'm just reading the Bible to you. That's all I'm doing. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Now, men, don't try that on your wife in the bedroom. That will not work for you. you got to understand the culture. Mount Gilead was a famous mountain in Israel where many shepherds would use. And they would take their goats up there. And goats in this culture were traditionally all black. Sheep were all white. Goats were all black. And so if you saw a herd of goats coming down Mount Gilead from a distance, it was a beautiful sight. And Israeli women in this culture wore their hair up. And so what's basically happening now is they're in the bedroom. It's the honeymoon night. She's taking her hair down and she's got these long wavy black locks flowing down her shoulders. And he's saying, man, I love your hair down. It looks great. It's beautiful. The waves moving on. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Basically, what that means is she doesn't play hockey and she's not from West Virginia. If you're from West Virginia, please forgive me. Now, one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. If you study this in ancient culture, she's wearing lipstick. Her lips weren't naturally red. That was lipstick. And they did have lipstick in this time period. So again, if you grew up in a religious background that said women weren't allowed to wear makeup, again, not true. This is the Bible. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. She's smiling at him. Moving on. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. She's blessing. Here he is complimenting her body and she's blessing. Your neck is like the Tower of David. He's saying you are a noble woman. The Tower of David was a, it was a tower in Israel that stood towards the nation of Assyria. It was their, it was their symbol of national defense. And he is saying, you, you are elegant. You are regal built with elegance on it. Hang a thousand shields, all of them, the shields of warriors. Solomon is giving us an incredible principle here for the bedroom. And men, let me explain this to you. Don't touch her body until you touch her heart. What you're going to find here in chapter four, there's 16 verses of their honeymoon night. For 10 verses, he doesn't lay a hand on her. There's no physical contact. He's speaking to her. The first principle in your notes, great sex is affirming. Great sex is affirming. See, Solomon understands how important his words are. 
He understands he needs to build her up emotionally. He needs to speak to her verbally. He needs to, you know, I mean, and and this is just, it's it's amazing. This book was written 3,000 years ago, and psychologically, it's still true today. By and large, women are aroused through the ear gate, and men are aroused through the eye gate. Here he is arousing her with his words. He's speaking words of affirmation, words of love. Men, you need to learn to guard your lips. Your harsh, your critical, your negative words are not going to do well for you in marriage. They're not going to do well. We need to learn to be affirming again. We need to learn to love our spouse in their love language. See, as men, we don't necessarily need a lot of words of affirmation. We could go straight to the physical and skip all of this. But your wives are not the same. See, great lovemaking starts at breakfast. It starts in the morning when you're affirming her and you're loving her and you're, you're sending her sweet text messages throughout the day and hiding little notes for her and doing little things like helping with the dishes and take out the trash. And Solomon understands that here. He, he's being very loving. So, so men, let me just say this quickly. Don't be in such a hurry. Learn patience. You know, there's, there's the old cliche that women will use sex to get romance and men will use romance to get sex. I mean, women are thinking about the journey. Men are thinking about the destination. Men can never get enough sex. Women can never get enough romance. You heard the cliche. Men are microwaves. Women are crockpots. <laughs> That's just the truth. How long does it take, scientifically speaking, how long does it take for a man to be ready for sex? Scientifically speaking, seven seconds. That's all it takes. Seven seconds. What does he have to be doing? It don't matter. I mean, he could be playing softball. It it, it doesn't matter. I mean, seven seconds, he's ready to go. God did not create women the same as us men. Women are different. You need to learn this. If you are going to be a great lover, you need to learn from Solomon. He's very affirming. He's using his words. Selfish, carnal people will never make great lovers. If you're just focused on getting your needs met, you're never going to be a great. Can you imagine what marriage would be like if both parties, if God created men and women with the same sex drive? We'd be no different than animals mating. It would be the it would be the height of selfishness and just self-indulgence. There would be no love or emotional nature to it at all. We need to be affirming. Uh, Verse five, moving on. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Now, I don't need to tell you what he's talking about there. You, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious what part of her body he's describing. But he's using this word fawn to describe. And let, let, let me explain what he's trying to communicate here. Uh, growing up in Texas, hunting is part of the culture. My wife's family, they're from Texas. They're big hunters. You go to my wife's granddad's house, and he's got every animal you can imagine mounted on the wall. I mean, he is the reason there are animals today that are extinct. He is a big hunter. And if you know anything about deer hunting, baby deer are very timid creatures. They scare easy. They spook easy. If you see two twin fawn, two baby deer down by the riverbed, you don't walk up and say, hey, deers, how you doing? They will run away. And that means exactly what you think it means. I mean, you need to learn to be a little sensitive and tender. You don't just, you know, your wife taking up, hey, I mean, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Number two, great sex is tender. 
It's tender. Solomon understands tenderness. I think we need a little bit more of this in our culture. We need to learn to be more tender. I I believe one of the reasons why pornography is so huge in today's culture and and why sex is so broken and misused and abused and and, and selfish and self-stimulating is because we have abandoned God's way and God's standard. I mean, if you notice today on television, every other commercial seems like it's trying to give you a little bit of help. Here's a pill for this. Here's a pill for that. I don't believe that's natural. I don't believe, I, I think that is a result of us abandoning God's standard. We've lost affirmation. We've lost tenderness. And now, now we, we've turned it into selfish, self-stimulating, just this physical act. There's no love. There's no, no emotionalness to it. And, and now we need help to be able to do it because we've abused it and we've misused it. And we need to restore God's standard back to the bedroom. Restore affirmation. Restore tenderness. Verse 6, moving on. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I told you Lionel Richie isn't the first one to say all night long. There you go. This wasn't no quick experience. I mean, he has taken his time. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. And that is exactly what you think. He had a nickname for the mountains. Some of you will get that later. Uh, and all I want to say about that, I, I, I know that that's a little spicy for you, but, but, but let me say this. The devil is going to lie to you and tell you if you do it God's way, it's going to be boring. Not true. Number three, great sex is passionate. Great sex is passionate. I mean, this is passion here all night long. This is not some quick get my needs met, move on experience. He is being passionate here. This, 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 is, this is passion. You know, God wants it to be passionate. He gave you this gift and and he told us it needs to be passionate for it to work. And I get so tired of meeting people. They say, well, I just fell out of love with her. I I, I just don't love her anymore. That's impossible. You just got lazy. You cannot fall out of love with anybody because love is a choice. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And that's the truth. If the grass is greener on the other side, trust me, the water bill is going to be a lot higher. You don't fall out of love. You just get lazy. You need to work at it. You need to put some energy. You need to learn affirmation and tenderness and passion. How? Well, again, throughout this chapter, we see two things. We see uh, a one, he is arousing her verbally. He's speaking words of affirmation. He's being tender. Basically, if you, if you look at what's happening, he's starting at the top, moving down. She is basically, you know, undressing in front of him and, and he likes it. So the truth here is women are aroused through the ear gate. Men are aroused to the eye gate. She is arousing him visually. He is arousing her verbally. And great sex needs both of those in place. And I'm just telling you, this is the Bible. This is how to keep passion. So, you know, I've talked to the men a little bit. Let me say something to the women. Women, you can get rid of grandma's nightgown. You don't need that anymore in the bedroom. That thing is like as thick as seal skin. You couldn't see a solar flare through it. It doesn't do anything for your marriage. But it's comfortable. Get rid of it. I'm just trying to help you. And men, you can take a shower. You don't need to smell like a golf course when you come home at night. (laughs) Moving on. Verse 7. Whew, I just want to get through today. (laughs) Please, Lord, let me make it to next week. Verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Wait a second. Isn't this the ugly girl from chapter 1? Don't you remember chapter 1? She says, dark am I? See, this is not the girl that would be on the cover of the magazines. 
See, fair-complected girls were beautiful. She was a dark-skinned girl, not dark-skinned meaning that she was out in the sun working all day. Her, her, she was super tan because of having to sit in the sunlight. Her skin was rough. It was leathery. You know, today, you know, dark skin's popular. We love to go to the tanning beds. Back then, it wasn't. Let me give you a truth here. Solomon is creating a safe and secure place. Number four, great sex is secure. Solomon is saying, when you are in my private chamber, you are safe. My belief about you is you are the standard. I am making a choice to make you the standard of beauty. You may not be attractive according to the world's standards, but to me, you are beautiful. You are the standard, in my opinion. Nobody holds a candle to you. See, we all have a standard, and the world's trying to teach you what your standard should be. I mean, women, all these chick flicks out there about these romantic, sappy men that doesn't exist trying to teach you what your man... Get rid of that standard, and you get into God's standard for what your man should be. Men, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition should not teach you what your standard should be. You need to make it. And I made a decision in my life. And women, I don't want to offend you, but, but, but to be honest, not one of you holds a candle to my wife. She is the standard. She is beautiful. She is gorgeous. She is the only person I want in life. She is, I made a decision. She is going to be the standard in my life. And men, I'm not going to call you dumb. I'm not going to call you ignorant. I'm not going to call you an idiot or a fool. I didn't even say those words. Don't even, don't even think about those words. But you should never... Never make a negative remark about your wife's body. Never make a critical, disparaging remark about their body. Women are very self-conscious about their physical appearance. And if you are critical and you think you're going to motivate them with your negative and snide and critical remarks, you're not going to motivate them to look their best. See, when a woman feels secure, when she feels safe, See, Solomon created a safe environment for her. He created a secure, you are all, you, there is no flaw in you. When you create that type of environment, you make her want to look her best when she feels safe and secure. And women rejection also comes from you. You see, women's deepest need is appreciation. Men are insecure about their abilities. And if you ask any man in here, what makes a great lover? He'll tell you plain and simple responsiveness. So when it's continually, I have a headache, I don't feel with, feel like it, you are, you, you're going to make him insecure. And I'm going to tell you something about men. They will find security. They will be secure in their job, in their career, on the golf course, with another person. And I'm not condoning it. I am against that. But they're going to find security. And, and you have a part in this also. And, and yes, it is true. Guys want sex more than women. That's just the truth. And I read a study recently, guys want sex in days of the week that begin with the letter T. Tuesday, Thursday, today, tomorrow, <laughs> Tattersday, Tunday. I mean, <laughs> sorry, I just felt like you needed a break there for a moment. All right, I, I've got a lot to get a lot to get through in a very short amount of time. Verse 8, uh, moving on. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amman or from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon. Hermon was a very frightening mountain, uh, very intimidating, very dangerous place. From the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. Basically, Solomon is saying, leave your life of insecurity and come live with me. I'll give you security. I'll give you stability. You can live in the palace. You don't have to live in that scary place. And, and men, your job is to create a safe, secure environment for your woman. I can't relate to to a guy that will ever strike a woman. I, I just can't do it. I, I, I honestly, I can't, 
can't even imagine that. Uh, Verse 9, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister. Now, when he says the word sister, you have to understand culturally... In this day and age, a man could not be friends with a woman unless she was his sister. So what Solomon is saying is, I don't want you to be just my lover. This isn't just about the physical. I want you to be my best friend. I mean, you're not just my lover. You're my, you're my friend. You're my best friend. I want to hang out with you. I want to spend time with you. It's not just about the physical act, but I want to get to know you and be friends with you. How much more pleasing is your love than wine? He says, I'd rather hang out with you than my golfing buddies. And the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Verse 11, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycombs. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. We move into finally the physical. Milk and honey are under your tongue. What kind of kiss is he describing here? I mean, that's a French kiss, isn't it? The only problem is France wasn't created till 800 AD, and this was written 1000 BC, which means this isn't a French kiss. This is a Hebrew kiss, and your God is awesome. <laughs> the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Verse 12, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. And that's the verse I want to focus on for a moment. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride, a spring enclosed. He's praising her for her virginity. He's saying, you have given me the greatest gift anyone could ever give me. I don't have to compete with any other men in your memory. You have given me the most holy, the most awesome piece of your life. Given it to me as a gift on our wedding day. Young people, listen to me. The greatest thing you can do for your future wife, your future husband, is give them you. Give them all of you, not not a part of you because you gave a little piece of yourself away to every other person that came around. The greatest thing you can do is make a standard for purity. Make a covenant. We're going to be we're going to be challenging you to sign a covenant in a few weeks, a covenant of purity where you understand God's standard in this marriage. And people always ask, what's the line before marriage? How far can I go before I'm married? Let me give you my advice. This is how far I think you should go before marriage. You can kiss, but no open mouth kissing. And let me explain to you why. I'm not just arbitrarily drawing a line. Let me explain to you why open mouth and French kissing is bad. When you French kiss somebody, you are arousing feelings in your body that were not created by God to be stopped. Those feelings were not created to be stopped. Those feelings were created to be fulfilled in one context, and that's the context of marriage. And that's why throughout this book, it says, don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And this is the other problem of getting too physical before marriage You put filters where you can't hear from God clearly. God may be saying, get out of that relationship. That's the wrong person for you're making a major mistake. And as soon as you get physical, you're blinding yourself. You're becoming self-deceived. You can't hear God clearly because you've got your emotions all wrapped up because your emotions follow the physical. And that's why before marriage, you should be building a friendship with a healthy distance so that you're not making a mistake and you're hearing from God clearly. And I know you're going to call me old fashioned, but that's fine. I'm trying to help you here. So number five, great sex is holy. Great sex is holy. It's set apart. It's done according to God's standard. And I know you're saying, well, aren't we supposed to get a a lot of experience and figure out what we like before married? No. Solomon is the norm on sex. Solomon is the standard. God gave us an entire book and an entire chapter on this one particular subject to teach us what the standard should be. She was a garden locked up. That's the standard. And I know some of you have messed up and made mistakes. And some of you are feeling really bad right now because of your past 
Remember the rules. There's no condemnation. God will make all things new. God will cleanse all unrighteousness. God will give you a chance. God can reset this standard in your life if you'll allow him to. Some of you are married and you're coming into a marriage with a lot of baggage and a lot of just emotional stuff from your past. Again, God will give you the grace, but I know firsthand it's going to be a lot harder work. And I want to save some of you that haven't made these mistakes so you don't have to, 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 to pay a price you don't need to pay. Remember how we closed the last couple weeks? You know, the verse that, that we kept saying, don't arouse or awaken love. Well, now in verse 16, the last verse of chapter 4, awake, north wind. She says, it's on. North wind was a strong wind and come south wind. South wind was a gentle wind. She's saying, I want you strong and I want you gentle. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I'm not going to explain what that means to you. You can use your imagination. It does mean what you think it means right there. And and what I love about this book is God only speaks one time in the entire book of Song of Solomon. One time God speaks up and it's the very next verse. Right after verse 16, God speaks up in chapter 5, verse 1. And he basically says, as soon as they're done with their honeymoon night, God speaks up and basically says, well done, great job. Eat and drink and have your fill of love. I love that about God. And you may think that's a little weird, but those of you parents know exactly what's going on. Have you ever given your child a gift and that child got so much joy out of the gift you gave? And maybe it was a bicycle, maybe it was something else. And they just loved that gift and they played with that gift and they cherished that gift and they enjoyed that gift. How did that make you feel as a parent? It made you feel good. It made you feel good that your child took a gift you gave them and used it and got pleasure out of it. God gave us a gift. And God wants you to get passion and pleasure out of the gift. And when you use this gift according to God's standard, God says, well done. That brings me great joy. Eat and drink and love deeply. And so I thought, how do you you close a message like this? I mean, this is not your typical message. So so how do you close? So I found a scripture for you to close today's message. In James chapter 1, verse 22. Be not hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Have a great afternoon. Just kidding. That's your challenge, married people. All right. Real quick before we leave, I know we're a couple minutes over, but the baby dedication is a very important part of our church. Let me let, let me just bring a thought to you. If God could be this concerned and this detailed and interested about this one area of your life, how much more does God care about you as a person? I mean, think about that for just, if, if God, if God could be this concerned and interested about this area, how much more is God concerned about you? You see what salvation is, is making God the priority relationship of your life. Because if God isn't number one in your life, then he's not in your life at all. And I know that sounds tough and that's a hard reality, but it's the truth. If God is not the priority of your life, he's not in your life at all. You're just playing church. You're just playing religion. You're just playing whatever. Because God can't be second place in your life. God won't be second place in your life. He's either first or he's nothing. And so would you close your eyes quickly? with me and just bow your heads. And I just, I'm going to say a very simple prayer. I'm not going to ask anyone to stand up or speak out loud or come forward, but I want to say a prayer with you. If you need today to make God the priority relationship of your life, you need to put God in first place in your life. 
If that's you, I want you to join me in this prayer. And with every eye closed, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me today. And I'd like to join you in this prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else? The prayer is simple. You can pray this in your heart. You don't even need to say it out loud. God can hear the thoughts of your heart. First part of the prayer is, in your own words, would you say, God, I invite you to be the priority of my life. The second part of the prayer is, say, God, would you forgive me? We've all made mistakes. We all need his forgiveness. And the third part of that prayer is, would you just say thank you? You can look up here for just a moment. On your connection card, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you pray that prayer, made either one of those decisions, I would encourage you to check that box. Drop it off in one of the tithe and offering boxes as you leave. We want to connect with you. We want to provide the resources, the family, the support you need to walk out that decision. Also, outside, uh, many people that pray that prayer, there's a very natural question. Now what? What do I do next? This book will help you answer the questions of what do you do next of having God the priority of your life. You can pick them up outside. There's also Bibles out there. If you don't have a Bible, please pick up a Bible. It's our gift to you. You can read the Song of Solomon. It's eight chapters. You'll love it. It's a great book to read, fun book to read, fun book to study, as we're finding out. Uh, Stand with me as we close today. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would teach us to reset our standards to your standards because your standards work. The world standards just create unneeded baggage and just hurts and wounds that we just don't need. We want to be whole. We want to be godly. We want to be pure. And for those of us that have made mistakes like myself, God, you can give us the grace to cleanse ourselves of all unrighteousness. And we can start maybe just a mess in life, but we can finish beautifully. And God, I I wish I had a perfect beginning, but I don't. But I'm going to build an incredible ending to my life with your grace and your power and living according to your standard. And that's what I challenge everyone here that has made those mistakes. Let them finish strong. It doesn't matter how they started the race. Let them finish strong. And for the young people here that haven't made the mistakes, I want so much better for them, God. Teach them purity. Teach them integrity. Teach them to live according to your standard so that they can have your fruit in their life. In the name of Jesus. As you leave today, would you just say hi to somebody sitting around you and welcome them to church today?